Take your Bibles and go to the book of Matthew chapter 9. The book of Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, very familiar text. Matthew chapter 9. There are three verses here I want to look at this morning. Matthew chapter 9. The Bible tells us here in verse 36, the last three verses of this chapter. But when he, that's the Lord Jesus, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Father, I need you today. We need you today. Lord, as we are gathered here, we are here on purpose and we are here for a purpose. And I pray that each one of us would hear the word of God and that we would allow your spirit to do a mighty work in us. Not only stir us up, for well, that's needful today, but also to change us. For we walk out of here changed. New line of thinking. New commitments. New decisions. Maybe even someone is here who walks out of here a brand new person because they've accepted Christ as their Savior. But Father, we ask that you do a mighty work, something you're only able to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in this passage, our Lord gives us a glimpse of what he sees as he saw the multitudes coming his direction. Over in Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 46, it gives us the context of these three verses. And here are several observations from Mark chapter 6. I'll just give them to you. You can read it later. But the busy and the bountiful seasons of life, while exciting and blessed, are something that's always tiring. But also those same circumstances. And many times in the seasons of life, you have some circumstances that are very disturbing and difficult and dangerous. You say, well, what is that all about? Well, John the Baptist over in Mark chapter 6 had lost his head. He was beheaded. He was martyred for the faith. I don't know about you, but that'd be pretty troubling. And the solution to that the Lord Jesus gave was rest. And sometimes we need to be intentional with this rest. I don't do that very well. That is something I struggle with, you know, just coming, just settling down a little bit until you just go, go, go until you just almost collapse, you know, but nevertheless, it's that rest. But even the best intentions we find in that chapter of Mark chapter six, they don't always pan out or even materialize. And even for this portion of our Lord's earthly ministry, what transpired there was the feeding of the 5,000. He had compassion on them as he saw the multitudes and then he fed the 5,000. 
And from the disappointment of not getting some R&R, two very valuable moments are captured. As we look not only at Matthew 9, but also Mark 6, we find the heart of our Savior is displayed and with it a valuable view for ministry. We find that here in Matthew chapter 9. But the heart of our Savior is also displayed and with it an ample supply that met an immediate need of the gathered masses proving his omnipotence as well as his omniscience in Mark chapter 6 with the feeding of the 5,000. Several years ago, there was a gospel song that came out that it goes something like this. I won't sing it for you. <laughs> Let me see this world, dear Lord, as though I were looking through your eyes. A world of men who don't want you, Lord, but a world for which you died. Let me kneel with you in the garden, blur my eyes with tears of agony. For if once I could see this world the way you see, I just know I'd serve you more faithfully. Let me see this world, dear Lord, through your eyes when men mock your holy name. When they beat you and spat upon you, Lord, let me love them as you love them just the same. Let me stand high above my petty problems and grieve for men held bound eternally. For if once I could see this world the way you see, I just know I'd serve you more faithfully. And folks, we need to see the heart of our Savior so that we can adequately minister to people, to people, to people. And we can see his heart as we look into the word of God and then as we lift our eyes and we see those who surround us. Matthew's account follows several verses detailing the Lord Jesus's general ministry and literally the busyness of it. For instance, we find that a man was healed of his palsy and then there was the calling of Matthew and then it goes quickly into the Lord Jesus eating with publicans and sinners. That, that, that's not Republicans and Democrats, that's publicans and sinners. I had to get a little political here. Sorry about that if you're offended. It's okay. I promise I'll be nice. Then he goes on teach and teaches a brief lesson using old and new wineskins as an illustration. He healed a woman with an issue of blood and then he raised a girl from the dead and he gave sight to two blind men and he cast out a demon. And then in verse 35, it says, and Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. He's busy, a lot going on. The physical needs were noticed and they were met. The immediate spiritual needs were dealt with as well. But the future spiritual needs were addressed. And that's what we find here in this text. And those future spiritual needs that were addressed are needs that are very concerning. We live in times not unlike what previous generations have lived, where we today must be burdened by 
and looking at the spiritual condition of the multitudes of the people that we rub shoulders with, whom we meet on the street, whom we work with, whom we neighbor with, whom we come in contact with. Okay, with just a show of hands, and I want you to be very discreet, I don't think the camera's looking at you. How many of you have a neighbor that kind of gets on your nerve? If you don't want to raise your hand, it's okay. This neighbor that, that bothers you, come on, come on, some of you. Thank you, all right, this is good. How many of you today are visiting from heaven? Please raise your hand. It is the truth. I'm telling you, you know, we work with people who gripe us. You know, we, we, we have politicians that, 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 my goodness, they're just an open target for griping and complaining about. You know, they, they can do nothing right. They do everything wrong. You know how it goes. But how do we view them? Moab's an interesting place. It really is. We're one of the very few blue counties in a growing purple state. But Moab, one day we had a young girl was invited by one of our teen girls. So here's two young teen girls and one invites the other. I introduce myself and she tells me who she is and, and I go, boy, that name sounds familiar. And I go up to somebody else in our church and I said, do you know who that is? And, and this gal, she just goes, she goes, she said, this is amazing. She says, I used to babysit this girl. And then it dawned on me who she was. A young lady was the daughter of our county attorney. Our county attorney has changed. We have a guy now, a young man now is our county attorney, but the former one, oh, her policies were awful. And it reminded me of this truth that as I look at the political landscape, as I look at the name, I need to remember that that name is still a person. And this person has a daughter who came to Moab Baptist Church, who tells the Sunday school teacher, you know, I think I need to learn a little bit more about Jesus. It was a wake up call to the preacher to quit dealing with non-essential issues and start looking at people as a person, as a soul who needs Christ. But we live in these interesting times. And here in our text, there are three glimpses we are given that help us deal with people and how we are to view them and how we are to pray for them. The first glimpse that we have is a concern for a flock. Lord Jesus says in verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep with no shepherd. Here were people, here were scores of, pe of them, thousands of them, a whole multitude of people who were coming to him. Amazing. This is an amazing group of people. This is a in a phenomenal scenery that is surrounding them on the, literally on the shores of the Sea of Galilee on that hillside there. It is a very interesting set, uh, setting that was taking place. Men and women, boys and girls, those who are staunchly religious, and you have the Pharisees and the scribes, you have the moderately religious fishermen, people who were reverent and those who were irreverent. You had the sick and the lonely and the tired and the young and the old, and they were all there before him. Every one of them were. 
And Jesus saw each one and he was moved with compassion because of their condition. They fainted and they were scattered just like sheep that had no shepherd. They fainted. That means they were troubled because they were harassed. They were scattered. That means they were deliberately dispersed. What does that? Well, predators, they trouble and harass and they scatter the flock. Evil forces, they trouble and they harass and they scatter the people. Interestingly here, the Lord Jesus compared these people to sheep. Here's something that sheep do. They wander. That's what they do. But here's something that they also do. They follow. I was told years ago when I went to Moab by my pastor up in Wyoming, he made the statement to me. He said, Cole, I want you to remember this. He said, beat sheep, don't follow. You herd cows, you lead sheep. I thought, wow, that's an interesting thought. So they wander, but they also follow. And sheep are prone to dangers and they are prone to, uh, they are susceptible to predators, the lions, the wolves, the coyotes, the dogs, the people. And even today, especially in our day, folks are troubled and they are harassed by false doctrine. They are harassed by political pressures. They are harassed by opposition. They are harassed by health concerns and by relational issues, and by family turmoil, and by marital problems. Many of them are, when they're harassed, they begin withdrawing from others. And sometimes they are drawn into things. And folks are deliberately dispersed because lone people are easy prey. May I remind you of something? Lone Christians are easy targets for the devil and his crowd. Discouraged and distressed and disturbed and distraught, all of which are recipes and excuses for disaster. They are recipes for the believer to quit. And maybe it is to quit on God, or maybe it is to quit on church, and maybe it's to quit on daily devotions. It might be to quit on the marriage. It might even be to quit in their responsibilities, or maybe even to quit on their life. But what is the remedy for all of these things. And thank God there is a remedy. There is a solution. The remedy for the weary and the scattered people. Those pastorless people. Those shepherdless people. Is something very simple and yet very profound. It is called compassion. In particular it is the compassion of Christ. Here's a good nugget of truth. The Lord sees and he hears and he knows and he feels and he is filled with compassion toward you. Think of that. Nobody loves me, everybody hates me, I guess I'll go eat worms, you know the little saying. (laughs) No, understand this, there is a God in heaven who has compassion on you. He has compassion on me. He has compassion on us. He has compassion on people. In the powerful little postscript of the book of Jude, it gives us a bit of insight into this idea of compassion. In verse 22, the Bible says, And of some have compassion, making a difference. Have compassion and make a difference. 
I think everyone here would like to make a difference. We don't go out and do things to just become a roadblock. We want to make a difference. And some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment of, uh, spotted by the flesh. But here's what compassion is. It is seeing a need and then doing something about it. We can see needs all over the place. But are we doing anything about it? We can look out at, our, uh, out at the Intermountain West. We can look at our country. We can see the need for churches. We can see the need for, 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 for pastors. We can see the need for faithful laymen. We can see the need for these things, for Bible reading and godly homes and all of this stuff. Well, okay, we can see the need, but what are we doing about it? What am I doing about it? Granted, we can't solve all the problems, but we can do something. And so we read of our Lord's concern for a flock and Christian as we go about our day, as we go about our daily routine, as we go about our daily business, how do we see people? And may we see them as people, as sheep without a shepherd. But also we see another view that the Lord gives us in verse 37, it is the condition of a field. Here we find the Lord Jesus looking at the masses and the multitudes and seeing the people thronging him as a field containing a plentiful harvest. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous. That's better than a, that, that's better than a, a, a scarce one. 1989, I graduated from high school. I know I should have graduated about 1960. I looked that old, but I was only eight, I'm only 52 people. Graduated from high school in 1989, and immediately, the day after I graduated, my folks were happy to get rid of me because I joined the wheat harvest crew. Joined a combine outfit out of, out of uh, uh, Bison, Oklahoma, central Oklahoma, and I caught up with them as they were in, in southern Oklahoma. They were cutting something down there. I don't even know what it was, but it wasn't wheat at that time, I don't think. We finally got all the wheat there in, in central Oklahoma, and then we went up into Kansas and went over into northeastern Colorado and southeastern Wyoming, and then over to Craig, and then uh, we went down to Alamosa, and, and, and that's where I, I ended up leaving. Them. That was an entire summer. But in, northeastern, in southeastern Wyoming, in that corner of Wyoming and, and Colorado and Nebraska and all of that, that year it had been a drought. And all that wheat harvest was bad. I, I was the truck driver. I was the hired help is what I was. I was the truck driver. I drove for a husband and a wife team. And she drove a combine. He drove a combine. I drove the truck. And if it was a good harvest, I'd just been going, going, going just all this time. Got to southeastern Wyoming. And we were cutting north of uh, uh, Fort Laramie. And, and uh, the, it was just a bad harvest time. And so I, I, I would fill the truck up, get the truck, uh, grain truck filled up drive several miles into Fort Laramie, drive 10 miles east of Fort Laramie over to Lingle to the elevator, and, uh, and I, would, I would get rid of the wheat uh, at the elevator. And then I would, I, I would swing by my grandparents' house, and as I got over to their house, I would sit down with them and have, some, have, have a glass of iced tea with them and, and visit with them a little bit. And then I'd get back in the truck, and I'd make the journey back out to the field. And by that time, their hoppers were just now full. I'm telling you, it was a bad, bad harvest. Not much there. But the Lord Jesus says there is a plenteous harvest. That's what he's saying. 
And the crop, whatever it was, alfalfa, barley, flax, wheat, rye, corn, whatever, it was planted and it was tended and it has now come to harvest time. You know, harvest time is the culmination of much work. We know that. You live in the area of farming and ranching and you know that. You have the cultivating of the fields and the planting of the seeds and the irrigating and the tending of and the caring for and the maintaining of all the farm equipment and the harvesting equipment, getting everything all ready. It is the culmination of a whole lot of work. It's the culmination of much prayer for good sunlight and good rain, but not too much rain, just enough rain. You know, farmers are never happy about the weather, are you? I love you. I'm with you. I understand. But you're never happy. We're never happy. I'm never happy. It's too hot. It's too cold. It's too humid. It's not humid enough. It's this. It's that. It's everything. You know how it goes. There's much prayer for good market prices. Praise God for good market prices. But now the harvest time is here and now there's much prayer goes into that. What do you need? You need to have dry conditions. Lord, we need it to be dry. We don't need any rain. See those rain clouds? Make them go to New Mexico. Make them circle around as they can come back next week. You know, good, uh, we're praying for good working and, and sharp equipment. Lord, help nothing to break down. But harvest time is now, and there's much work. It's joyful work. It's hard work and that, that must be done. And, and when harvest time comes, it requires all hands on deck to get that crop harvested in a timely and a very efficient manner. But what does this harvest look like? We talk about the harvest. But what does it look like? It is when the good news of the gospel is shared. What is that gospel? It is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How Christ died for us and how he was buried and how he rose again for our sin. And we're able to communicate that with someone else who does not know. We're able to say Jesus Christ died for you and he was buried and he, and he rose again. He paid your sin debt. He, he, died as a, he died as God's sacrificial lamb. He died as our substitute. He died in our place. But he also died a sufficient death for us. That's what he did. Because our sin condemns us. Condemns us to hell. And can I, can I help you to understand something? If you're here today and do not know Christ as your Savior, you need to know that you are living on borrowed time. The Bible tells us that you're condemned already. That's the, that's the devastating thing about it. Condemned already. John 3, 18. Very clear about that. Yes. person is condemned already until they come to know Christ as their Savior. And so what does this harvest look like? It is when a soul responds to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. That soul has been redeemed. But here's something to note. Crops don't harvest themselves. So what is the remedy for this? For this truly plenteous harvest? The remedy is laborers. It is capable people. That's the remedy. 
A window of opportunity that has great potential of success or failure is presented. It is the harvest and the dangers are very real. You have weather, you have fire, you have enemies. It's very real. And our Lord gave those disciples a bit of an earful when he said, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. What weighty concerns and what real concerns these are. Christian, let me ask you a question. Does the harvest of souls excite you? You know, heaven rejoices over one soul that is saved. How does that excite us? It's great to see this young man get saved or get baptized today. And, and I'm excited he got saved. I'm excited for his brother who was saved and baptized some time ago. I'm excited that he came to know Christ as, as his Savior. He followed the Lord in believers' baptism today. That is an exciting thing. I just grinned. I was excited about that. But does the harvest of souls excite us? Does the lack of capable workers concern us? Lord Jesus mentions to his disciples in John chapter 4 and verse 35. He says, say not ye, there are yet four months and then cometh harvest. He's saying, look, look, we can't just turn around and say, it's all going to happen at times. We have some time, we have some time, we have some time. No, he says, behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Let's be reminded that now is always God's time. Jeremiah lamented this over in Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 20. And, he, and I know he's referring to Judah and all of that. But he says the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Recognizes the need of that harvest and that quickly passing of time. And how should we view the people around us? How should we view the communities of our areas? Well, first of all, as sheep without a shepherd, they need a savior. They need the good shepherd. But also as a harvest that's really plentiful and ready to gather, but with few workers, with few laborers. But number three, we find there's a cry regarding the future. Verse 38, or Jesus said, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth labors into his harvest. Go to any coffee shop in town, go to any restaurant here, go to any beauty parlor, or any church gathering, and the trying issues of the days are discussed, whether they're political issues or world events or societal problems or community challenges or the weather or whatever is going on. We talk about them all. I mean, that's good stuff to talk about. And this is normal, and it should be normal. And yet far too often the problems that we are faced with and the stresses of the moment have no immediate solutions or even solutions that we can have a part in. I'm concerned about the political direction of our nation. I do everything I can to gripe and complain all over Facebook. <laughs> I'm holding steady. Some of you are too. I got some of you as friends. You know, it's not good English, but I got some of you as friends on Facebook. And we need to get a life, just so you know. <laughs> Brother Payne, did you just say all right? Is that you? Amen. <laughs> down in front, down in front. But here we find that the Lord actually gives us a solution. He gives us a remedy again for these issues. He says this. Pray ye, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth labors into his harvest. 
We are to pray. We are to plead. That's what that word's meaning. We are to plead with. We are to beg. We are to repeatedly barrage heaven's throne of grace that others will be invested and others will be enlisted in this soul winning work. We're to beg God for that. The Lord of the harvest is the Holy Spirit of God. He's that third person of the triune Godhead. We're to be asking the Lord, we're to be asking the Holy Spirit of God, would you move in the lives of men and women, of boys and girls, because people need to get saved here in Montezuma County. People need to get saved in Cortez and up in Dolores. Somebody needs to get saved, dear God, and, and we need to make a difference. We ask him to do such a work in a person's life where the person cheerfully and with great urgency shares the gospel with another person and is consistent in doing so with others. But what kind of laborers are needed? Well, we need enough laborers, enough men, a a sufficient amount because of the workload. Uh, Too many is a problem, too few are a problem. But can I just say to you, as of right now, there's no danger of having too many. But we need enough men. We need equipped laborers. Laborers that have the right tools, a a Bible and Bible knowledge and the ability to be able to communicate to other people, equipped people. But we also need experienced laborers. Laborers who know how to use their tools and equipment and are skillful and knowledgeable to be of help and service to others. A little training goes a long way. A little bit of experience goes a long way. But we also need enabled laborers, laborers who are empowered by God to do the task because it's not the work for just anyone. We need God, the Holy Spirit, to do a work in our lives. But here is a caution, if I may give it to you. As we plead with God, as we beg God to do a work and, and send forth labors, as we ask God to do something great and mighty, here is the caution. You might just be tapped. That labor just might be you. Back in the 1980s, my pastor Harvey Seidel was dealing with church planting issues and he was working with another pastor in the state of Oregon and they were really praying for Baker City, Oregon to get a church started up in Baker City. And a good friend of mine, a guy by the name of Ken Evans, he and his wife, Natalie, they were serving the Lord. I think at that time they were in Cody, Wyoming as assistants, and they were reading the prayer letters, and they were praying that God would send somebody to Baker City, Oregon. And Ken told me this. He said, little did I realize it was me he was sending to Baker City, Oregon. There's an American Bible college hymn, Where that that lyrics go like this. Give us thy vision of the need of men. All learning will be used in service then. Ideas is as I learn here, as I read my Bible, as I study it, as I hear the preaching and the teaching. May I use it in service to the Lord instead of just gaining my knowledge. And knowing good stuff and interesting stuff. But may I, as a servant of Christ, proceed on and utilize it because there's a harvest that is plenteous 
and the laborers are woefully few. And may God do a work in our lives. And may this prayer be our prayer too. Give us thy vision of the need of men. All learning will be used in service then. To have every head bowed, every eyes closed, no one's looking around. Maybe you're here today, and you do not know for certain that where you would spend eternity, that you would spend eternity in heaven. You have no confidence of that very thing. You hope you might. You think you might. But if you do not know for certain that you're on your way to heaven, here in just a few minutes, there'll be what's called an invitation. And that is an invitation for you. You are invited to come down here to the front. Pastor Burkett will be here. There will most likely be some uh, altar workers down here. If you're a man, a man would love to take the Bible and show you from the Bible what it means to be born again. If you're a lady, a lady will do the very same thing. But how you need to get saved. How you need to be born again because eternity is coming. And you need to be taken off of that condemned status and be placed on that redeemed status. You need Jesus. But maybe here today as a Christian, the question is this, we all know about missions. We all know about preaching, we all hear it, we all read about it, but here's the thing, are you submissive to the things of God? Are you surrendered to the things of God? I know your neighbor could probably do that. I know somebody else could do that, but how about you? Are you submissive? Submissive maybe to baptism, submissive maybe to, to church membership. Submissive, are you surrendered to him? Are you serving him? Are you serious about the things of God? During this invitation, it is for you as well. Maybe you need to get on your knees up here at these steps in the front. Pour your heart out to God. Rededicate yourself. But oh, how important it is that we have a tenderness here today. Father, I pray that you'd bless this invitation. I pray that you'd work in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name.